Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some are always looking for more sports content. And among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Tell podcast episode 169. Dexter Henry Brian Fonseca here, and a guest we have for the third time. One of my good friends in this industry. I haven't seen her face in a while, so I'm happy to see her today. <laughs> Michelle Yu, host, TV reporter, does everything, and a lot has changed since the last time we talked to her. Michelle, what's up? How you doing? Hey, how are you guys? You guys look great. Miss you guys so much. I know we we miss you. Um, except, and Brian is okay, although he's a little bit annoyed today, but, uh, we miss you. But when you, this is your third time on, and I talked to you about this before we started recording, your multiple appearances has caused some problems with some friends, you know, Sarah Kustak, (laughs) you know, Coakley, they want to come at me and blame Dex for not having them on. And you've been on multiple times. So now I have to catch them up so they can get to your level, Michelle. You got to catch them up. First, I got to say I'm honored. I didn't even know this was my third time. So thank you so much for having me on for three times. I don't think I'm that exciting to be on for here three times, I mean, to be honest I, with you. I mean, I think so. <laughs> well, well, well we, brought, we also brought you back very quickly after the first time. So it, it was that much fun and you left that much of an impression. I think it was only like a 17-episode gap. So yeah, wow. that's it's probably also why, uh, Dexter, you've heard some blowback from Janae from Sarah and that crew. <laughs> yeah, and those I, girls are much more exciting than me, especially these days. So, uh, you know, I see Sarah with her glamorous Brooklyn Nets lifestyle. You know. Oh, yeah. Sarah's You're going to have to come back to prove it. Neither of them have been here twice yet. So. That's true. Oh, that's oh. a challenge for you, Kustak, yeah. and you, Coakley. Yeah, that means next time we ask. <laughs> well, you're like, mean, hey, you're... Michelle's been here three times already. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your excuse? I think I think that'll motivate them. Well, let's let's catch the people up, Michelle. A lot has happened since the last time we had you on here. Um, tell us tell us about what's different in your life. Oh my gosh, uh, where do I begin? I mean, uh, I left SNY, and I have two twenty one month old twins. So, let alone there, that's a <laughs> that, lot. Of like that's enough right there. Life. I know, Dex, you have a baby and a five-year-old, actually. She's not five-year-old, a baby yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, I know you don't have kids yet. I don't Connor, think you have kids yet. further notice. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, oh, my God, two little, tw- like, having twins run around the house, a boy and a girl, is, is obnoxious. It really <laughs> is. It's just obnoxious. Um, and then on top of that, you have the pandemic going on. And then I've been trying to um, kind of broaden my horizons and do some other different things, which, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about later. So it's like a complete 180 change. I was just telling Dex a few minutes ago, like before we got on, I just feel my life is sometimes unrecognizable because I used to, you know, just I worked in television for like 15 years, was on SNY for 10 years and just did my routine 
Although it's really nice to not host a show at midnight and like go to bed at 3 a.m. I will say it's really nice. Um, but you know, I, um, I, yeah, it's, it's been fun though. It's been an interesting journey. You really learn about your life. I think after you have kids, I think Dex, you would agree with me. I would absolutely agree with you. And I know Brian's like, yeah, I don't want to know that just yet. And I understand all I, that well, as well, too. Well, Go ahead. I, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat what I said in the group chat the other day, but Dexter knows my timeline in, as far as having kids. It's a while from now, hopefully. You know what, Brian? Take a while. Yeah, Take I've heard. See? I, wanna, I actually wanted to ask you because you had twins. Uh, one, do twins run in your family? Was that like a surprise? And two, just how <laughs> just how? Well, it was a surprise, that? but my husband's grandfather was a twin so i guess mm-hmm. that happened i never thought i would ever have a twin um but uh, you know I, it, it just i mean when we found out my husband and i looked at each other and we just said in a four-letter word in unison that's all i have to say <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel like that's Wait, all it, you can say that's all start, you can say did it start with f or s or s no it was an f escalation uh, <laughs> Brian, that's all you can say at that point. And, and I mean, and, and to be clear, of course, Michelle, we know this was out of uh, a shock, not that there wasn't joy and that you were bringing these two oh, beautiful yeah, children. Yeah. Oh, world. yeah, on top of all that, guy, right. I love my kids. You know, of course, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of course, of, of course, you do. You talked about the thing we know, I know as a parent, even though I'm a parent of one, right? And and uh, raising a child who's going to be five years old, unbelievably now balancing that with the work or things that you're trying to do creatively can be a challenge. Um, and I think it's even more so, especially for mothers um, and, and women in, in what we have done, Michelle, did you find yourself having to really uh, adjust to that? Even though you stepped away from SNY and you started getting back into things, did you find yourself really having to adjust to that once again? Yeah, it was, you know, it's been a struggle just because now with everything that's going on, you know, we live in the city and we live in this, small apartment but and now you know in the city it's not the same as it used to be right guys you guys know that and it's uh interesting how you can't bring your kids out to do certain things now so for for me it's like pockets of time now it's like finding the right time to do certain things for myself and if you don't have those pockets of time that's lost in the day so your organizational skills are actually like super super tight and I think now when I look back at like my life before kids I'm like what the hell did I do with my time I was just like (laughs) getting my nails done you know doing my hair shopping doing like dumb stuff and I was like oh I, I wish I had a minute of that of my life so Brian I'm just letting you know you enjoy every minute of your life right now it's a warning that's a good advice Brian good advice no but that see these are the things that I'm scared of like, I don't want to have to, you know, sacrifice a certain amount of things. But then at that point, it's like, I, like, you know, because my girlfriend tells me about that shit because she has all these visions about, like, you know, she wants to do this by this age and have this by this age. And I'm kind of like, man, like, I kind of want to enjoy this, you know, before. Wait, like, how old are you, point. if you don't mind me asking? 27. Oh, my God. He's a baby. You have a, you have a decade or 20, more. No, well, 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 from what I'm told... The time, the best time for a woman to have a baby is between thirty and thirty-five. So that my, wasn't me. Yeah, Michelle's like that was not me. I knew I wasn't going to say it, but Michelle said it's like that's I'm not me. Say, I'm only saying that because that that's the window that my partner is trying to you know achieve, and that's kind of not really my say because it's very easy for my part of the process to happen. Right. You know what I mean, like, so I can't really have a say there. So. I don't have as much time to get my shit together as I would like. And I would like if the sports media industry would actually get its shit together so that in turn I could get my shit together and then, you know, everything could be smooth. But, you know, sometimes it just happens and you figure it out like the extra situation where you just sit in the promenade for a while and then you just figure it out after. You know? yeah. Oh, I see you guys hustling. I, I appreciate it. I've, I've always appreciated that about you guys. You guys are like hustling guys of the city. And it's really inspiring. And I hope that, you know, the younger uh, generation of journalists out there really look up to you guys and see how it's done. It really bothers me to see how journalism has changed in the Mm. sense that a lot of people feel that they're just entitled because they have a phone that they can do whatever. 
but it's about working hard. And, and Dexon and I have talked about this at length and, and I have always admired the hard work you guys have put in with everything. So I praise your success, you know, from up to this date and, and continue that success because you guys have been so deserving of it. We appreciate, appreciate that. We appreciate yeah. that you Can say that. Can I actually that. say something to that too? Because like someone did actually reach out to me yesterday and I knew who the person was like loosely, like whatever, but I saw like sort of what the rundown is or whatever. And I told them, you know, we can zoom, we can talk about it. And in my head, I was also like, damn man, this next generation, like it's just, it's just gonna, it's just gonna be tough because like the industry is not as a whole getting better. More people are leaving or stepping away and doing other things that they find more enjoyable. It's so cutthroat. It was hard. I was freelancing for a while before I just got my first uh, full-time gig now. And like, you know, the situation could be more ideal. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a lot yeah. of different ways. So like, it, it's hard, you know, and part, and a big part of it was like, it was getting shitty before COVID. And now during mm -hmm. COVID, people are just going to use it as an excuse to make it worse. Be like, oh, now we got to cut back on this and we got to cut back on this and, you know, not put any more resources and hiring certain people, even though they clearly have the money, just billionaires just say that they don't, Manager, managers just say that they don't. And like, it's, it's more of an excuse for people not to try to experiment and evolve and do certain things and just kind of just be all the same, be all rudimentary the way the industry was going anyway. This probably kind of accelerated that. So everybody should, you know, just be mindful uh, in this space about all those things. Absolutely. And, and no, and also I just wanted to add, it's also unfortunate if you want to really get into this industry at this time, because let's be honest, as sports fans, we all want to, what do we want to do as sports fans as being a journalist? We want to go to the games. We want to interview the athletes. We want to be in the action because we want to feel it. But now it's just so hard to feel it. Now everything is a Zoom conversation. Like a post-game um, interview is a Zoom conversation or it's a mask thing. And it kind of ruins, I think, the flow of what you expect journalism to be. I know me growing up, you know, watching a game or... You know, you guys know that I'm a big Jordan fan. By the way, that last Ugh. dance, you know, just last, like I just watched it over and over during COVID, just so that I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you did. I'm sure yeah. you did, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we can talk about that later too, Jeff. Um, but you know, I I just think as a fan growing up, you know, you you get to see like, hey, this is what it it's like to be a journalist. But now. If you want to be a journalist and this is what you're getting into, like those in college now are trying to get into it, like in the next couple of years, it's going to take maybe a year or two before we really get back to normal. And then by then, our rules going to change? Like they see this Zoom, like post-game conference working. Are they going to keep it that way forever? I mean, we don't know. Right. But it's presenting situations that I feel are not fun for journalism. And on top of that, you have a lot of places that are cutting back on journalism. Because yeah. everybody, everybody's like, all right, how can we just Ooh, get the most us. traction and traffic and clicks and all this bullshit that I don't care about? And Me neither. Actually really care about media and journalism don't really care about. But I mean, I see the direction things are going and, you know, I have my ideals and plans of the future and things like that. But that's an off uh, off air conversation. M Michelle, to that to that point, right? And, and you, as somebody who worked uh, in your previous employer for such a long time, and you and I have had this conversation. You had this, we actually had this conversation the first time you came you came on here with us. We spoke about the idea that you had to do things a certain way in journalism, whether it be you can't leave New York, which you and I both have successfully shown that you do not you can't go that way. Although I will add, I've spoken with some agents in the past couple of year year or so. Where they're like, oh, this is what you still have to do. And I'm like, why? Same. Why? Same. I, I, I've, I've already Raleigh, done this. Raleigh, North Carolina. Right. And no disrespect That's to Raleigh, why. North Carolina or any a place like this. Do you think in a, in a maybe a positive spin we could probably try to put on this? Is, is any, are people starting to become more forward thinking in journalism? Because sometimes I sit and say, <laughs> people are just still stuck in the same ways of doing things. And maybe they it's not as forward thinking as we would like it to be. What do you think about that? Well, I think people like you guys have a really bright future in journalism because you're willing to put in the work and be creative. If you're creative enough to like have your phone, be able to edit and put together some good stuff, people are going to pick that up. I think um, what 
is exciting about journalism moving forward is that you can now do anything anywhere. Um, but, you know, what I don't like about journalism is that now they're saying anyone could be a journalist. You know, back when I grew up, you know, when you were a journalist, you had to know how to write. You wanted to sharpen those skills. You wanted to uh, make sure that you were, you know, catching up and reading, you know, all the materials that you needed to read and know your style guide and all that stuff. What is that nowadays? Nobody knows what that is. And I think that's the problem. Um, with moving forward, but I think journalism is just now in a different state. Every with social media now, everything is just so different. It's like a different world. If I were now starting out in journalism, I don't think I'd succeed in it because I only know my old school way. I don't know. Like Brian said, like how do I get more followers? I don't know. Like you know, like I'm sorry, I'm not posting posting sexy photos of myself just so I could get a few followers. Just that's just not who I am. That's just right. not who I, that right. may be some other people and that's completely fine. And that's, you know, that's the way you want to like have your audience. That's completely fine. I, I have nothing against that, but that's just not who I am, you know? So, you know, my belief was you had to do X, Y, and Z and grow a certain way. Um, you know, I, I was at New York one, you know, before S and Y and I had to, you know, carry my own equipment and do all that stuff. I, I totally know how that feels. But now I feel people scoff at that idea. Yep. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. Who, who needs to do that? Like, I have a phone. I have Instagram. I have a ring light. I can do anything I want. And that kind of bothers me. But at the same time, it's exciting because, you know, there's a lot more of content creation now. And if you can create good content, someone will pick that up. And that can get you in the industry quicker because now with social media, there's so many ways that you can make content in a fun way, whether it be shorts or longs. It just doesn't have to be like, quote, a package or an article or something. If you have something put together that is exciting, people will click on it and that's how you get your in. I think that's the difference now. I, I'd agree with that. What do you also think about, obviously, you in terms of, there's been a lot of talk in the last year about diversity, especially in the industry. But now I look around, let's even just take here in New York. Where's the person that looks like Michelle Yu? We don't, we, we don't, we don't have that person there. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't see a lot of our Asian American brothers and sisters, even in sports journalism, as much as, as I would like to. Um, there still is a long way to go in diversity, and, and in terms for women as well, too. Where do you see things headed with that? Well, it's unfortunate. I, I don't see anyone, uh, a lot of people that look like me that are in sports journalism right now in New York City. And that's a shame. And quite frankly, uh, it's disappointing because I don't think, honestly, a lot of the higher executives, they don't care. They don't care. I've, I've, been, I've been saying the same thing, Michelle. I don't, it's clear that they don't care. It's clear. Yep. I'm sorry to cut you off. But yeah, go ahead. And they, they can get away care. with not caring. Also. Yes, absolutely. They can get away without caring. Um, there are sports networks now. Everyone I see on TV, they're all white. Yep. <laughs> what, yep. You know? Yep. What, what, you know, but they don't care. They, they really don't give two craps about diversity and they just care about money and they just care about whether or not, um, you know, they have Instagram followers or whatever have you. It's, it's disappointing. I think, especially for Asians, um, I, I think after everything happened with George, George Floyd you yeah. know, last year, I think, you know, in the African-American community, you guys are kind of gaining ground, right? I think every, like slowly things are there for you. But I think for us Asians, we're going backwards. Look at this new stuff, how people are calling us a coronavirus. Yep. You know, this stop Asian hate crime thing. I mean, we're going backwards right now. People don't care about us. It's very disappointing. And I think that the less people that look like me that are on the air, the more this is going to go on and we're not going to turn that page anytime soon. And that's what's sad. But unfortunately, the higher ups are still um, of certain diversity and nothing has really changed. It's starting to change. I'd like to see it change a little more, but it's not there yet, unfortunately. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. 
For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind the scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Brian, I wanted to talk to Michelle about this, so I'm so glad she brought up yeah. the increase that we have seen in uh, anti-Asian American rhetoric and crimes in this country that have spiked significantly in the last year, especially in large cities where there's a very strong Asian American population throughout the country. We've seen these numbers go up. And I, I want to ask you this specific to the pandemic and how that's it's changed all around that. Have you seen that? Because for me, one of the striking things to me at the beginning of the pandemic, and I've spoken with other people about this, when things first shut down about a year ago, you could, if you went out, you would notice a lot of Asian businesses, especially even in my neighborhood I live in, were closed, but other yeah. businesses were open. And that was very striking to me. And I remember people being like, well, why do you think that is? And I'm like, because racism, because the, our Asian brothers and sisters had to be afraid of how they could be targeted. And now you're starting to see, I'm so glad you spoke about it here in the podcast, Michelle, but we're starting to see some of our Asian brothers and sisters speak out more against this increase of, of uh, hate that we've seen around that how much does that concern you and what do you think uh needs to be done more from asian community and also it's as their allies to combat this well i think it's sad that this is happening right now and i think it started with trump you know trump saying this is the china virus and then it became a thing where everyone was blaming us i mean look if you're blaming me for the virus when i have like been to China once in my life, then it's ridiculous um, because I look a certain way. Um, I'm more American than anybody else. I was born here in, in New York City, you know? Um, so for people to think that, they are very uneducated to, to believe that. And I think it takes a lot of Asian voices who have the power to come out and really deliver a message. And I think we're doing a good job. Like I'm seeing people in Hollywood like Aquafina and Daniel Day Kim. And recently, um, I don't know if you guys know Stefan Kim. He's on Stephane Eyewitness Kim. News. Yeah, Stefan yep. Kim. Yep. Mm -hmm. Stefan, you know, also really worked really hard in the industry, you know, climbing the ranks, really happy for him. He was just on a special, like, recently with a Stop Asian Hate Crime um, a show, and it was great. And so I think slowly we just need to really step up. I mean, before we were always saying in the Asian community, like if we had someone like an Al Sharpton, we mm. would have a stronger voice. We don't have someone like an Al Sharpton because you know what? In the Asian community, we all don't want to talk. We all just feel like we were taught a certain way and just to kind of put our head down and not make waves and just go on with our lives. But now we need to step, like step up and say something. If we don't, we're going to be hurt because these crimes now are really disturbing and I think we really need to get the word out and really do something about it. Um, it it's just crazy. You know, I think in San Francisco, you guys heard in California, yeah. there was a man that was, that was like yep. uh, kicked or, or someone like threw something at it. Just really disturbing video to see this. It doesn't matter if it's the Asian race of any race to see this. Yeah, it's right. unbelievable. So I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever. It's crazy. And, you know, my kids are half Chinese, half Latino. So, you know, I want them to, like, grow up and be like, hey, you're, you're you know, you're of a lot of races, you know, and, and you need to embrace everything. And I think hopefully for our generations to come, for our children to come, you know, they, they learn that, you know, racism will be something that was behind in the times, but we as people now need to really get it going. So the, the point about not having the Al Sharpton one is interesting to me because I was recent, recently listening to Dan Levitar talk to David Sampson on his podcast and they were talking about Ichiro and Ichiro is apparently famous in Japan for like 
sort of being apolitical, not really saying anything on certain things because he's tied to all these sponsorships and just functionally, that's how it works. And now that you pointed out, I'm wondering, Jeremy Lin has spoken out multiple times and has always done so. But like, is this something that we're starting to see where more Asian athletes and just more Asian people in general who have these platforms and Asian Americans speaking out? Is that something that's becoming more normalized because of the times we're in now? Is that something that at least provides you some optimism since we're starting to see that? And maybe some of the guys who are more old school, like the Ichiro's, see that and then, you know, start to find their voice, I guess, later in life. Well, I think what LeBron said recently says it all. You know, if he has the platform, he's going to use his voice. And I think people who are in the position now as a professional athlete role like Jeremy Lin, he's obviously not on the status of a LeBron, but he's going to go use his voice. And I think everyone who has a status, has a platform on social media should use their voice because I think people are realizing this is the only way we can slowly make change. Because before, no one was really saying anything and nothing was happening. And now I feel people have a responsibility in the Asian community who have a status to say, hey, my voice does matter. And I, it is my duty to say something. And I think with that, that starts positive change. One voice just starts a change. I, I completely agree. And I spoke about this on the last podcast. Michelle, we stand with our Asian brothers and sisters. Uh, as allies, we were going to support, amplify those voices, have people like you speak out, speak against it, because that awareness around it, I still think it's not getting enough media coverage. That's my opinion on it. I think it didn't it's get not. enough media. It didn't get enough media coverage at the start of the pandemic. People looked the other way. Um, obviously, there were a lot of stuff going on, but now I'm glad it's getting some. But I still think it's underreported, and we need to talk about that and what's going on um, here in this country. And look, as a black person in this country, um, the history we know <laughs> about those kinds of discriminations. Um, but it's just being very direct to the Asian community. I'm just glad to see people are, are speaking out against it. Since we have you here, we know you, we know you are a huge tennis fan and you've been, you did some coverage of tennis, although it was probably weird to do that in the last year. Um, the Australian Open recently that we saw and the final between, um, wait, wait, was that the, that was the, sorry, that was the no, semifinal. No, the semifinal. The semifinal between Osaka and Serena. Um, did, Osaka-Serena matches have me, it's a weird feeling. I am a huge Serena fan, but I love what Osaka's doing. and She's just coming up. And I think I saw a tweet, you tweeted out how poised she was as a 22-year-old and how impressed you, you were with her. You look at her and you start, I start thinking like, man, like Serena's the GOAT, but she's, she's coming. Like she can, she, can re- she can get to that level or eclipse that possibly. Yeah. Uh, how ex- are you? Do you share that same excitement and just greatness in watching her? Well, I know Brian's a huge fan of her too. Um, just do you share that same excitement? Because I'm watching her and I'm just impressed at how she even plays Serena. We know Serena's on the decline towards the end of her career, but how just she's so impressive. I, I don't even know what else to say. She's just so damn impressive. I, she's so impressive. I want my daughter to grow up and be just like her. Like that's how impressive she is. I think. Everything about her, she's an all-around wonderful person and athlete. I mean, obviously on the court, she's a beast. Um, She has three Grand Slams now, um, and she is just going to continue to win more, I think, unless something, you know, really bad derails her. Um, But let's talk about just how she acts. You know, Mm. she's multicultural. She's half Haitian and half Japanese. And I think it's wonderful for kids to grow up and idolize and see her. You know, she says she grew up idolizing Serena Williams, right? And every time, I I think it's so cute. Every time she gets on the court, she gets nervous, like being with Serena. And, you know, you're trying to think, hey, you know, if you love basketball and one day you're playing with, you know, uh, LeBron, like, how do you feel? If you're a college player coming out, like, how do you feel, right? It it must be that kind of feeling. but I think it's so cool to see that type of naiveness about her, even though she's on the big stage, she's still very innocent in that sense. So I think that makes her such a interesting type of personality. Um, and she's quiet, but yet she really helps use her platform to, 
you know, serve as some sort of way to deliver messages that do good for the world. Obviously, with what she did at the U.S. Open, wearing the seven masks for uh, social injustice, that was wonderful. I thought um, she was just so poised about that. Someone asked her about it, and she said, you know what, because before the U.S. Open, she actually said, I'm not going to play one day. Yeah, she did. That's my my whole... um, that's how I feel about this. This is how I'm going to honor, you know, the whole situation. And I thought that that was for a 22 year old to do that. Oh my, like that, she is something special. And I love watching her. She's obviously an awesome player, but I think it's what she does off the court that I love too. It's, it's her story and the way she carries herself. And we need athletes like that. I mean, we see a lot of athletes uh, that are up and coming. They're cocky. They're, you know, all about money and this and that, but not her. I mean, I think, She's the all-around package. She's she's a wonderful role model for for female athletes. I agree. I already I already have my daughter watching her too and seeing even even she's been watching Serena. So I agree with that. Speaking of Serena, does Serena, you know, she's come up short the last couple of times. She's still obviously one of the best in the world, but even though she can beat Osaka right now, I, I don't know. Um, do you think she's got one more left in her to to reach twenty four? Do you think that's possible, Michelle? You know, never count out Serena Williams. You know, I, I was on uh, on a show with Sal Akata recently, and we talked about this. And he said, you know, do you think Serena is done? No, I don't think she's done. I, I think she's come up short. Look, she had, she won, the last time she won a Grand Slam was in 2017. She was pregnant. I know. So she, she won a major title pregnant just because she's, you know, edging 40, inching closer to that age doesn't mean that you can counter out, hey, she's going deep into these tournaments. It's not like she's losing in the first or second round. She's still demolishing. What's the word? Demolishing. Demolished? Demolishing. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say demoralized, but she's also demoralized. She's doing that too. Yeah. (laughs) She's doing that too. She's demolishing players who are much younger than her. So it's not like her game is off. I just feel she needs that one Cinderella tournament where she's really going to click and I could see her doing it. And I think sports fans all chase, want to chase history. We want to, even though if we like her or don't like her, right, we want to see her do something special to say that we've been a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And before we let you get out of here, because we know you're, we know you're crazy busy. Um, you've been doing some stuff I've seen into more of the the news political world, which which shows your versatility. I did as a see journalist. that too. I, I did love see this. That shortly before we got on here, and this is what I love about Michelle because Michelle is like me. You can't put her in one box, which Brian loves, right? You can you can do so many different things as a journalist. You're doing some. These stuff companies with, will fucking cool. try to do it though. No, they'll I'm try sorry. to do it. They'll try to do that shit with you for sure. Michelle, talk to us about what you've been doing with Quick Hits News and what else you got going on. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm a Bronx girl at heart. We got to hustle. I don't care how old I am, right? I I know I got kids, but I still got to hustle and, you know, uh, and make things happen. Um, And and it's just so funny, you know, as as I get older. Is going to change, right, to something else. I mean, that's now already that you, happened. that's yeah. already happened for me. Like from, right. from the time I graduated college five years ago to now is not the same at all. See? At all. <laughs> but that happens. Like that happens. So now it's just challenging for me now with the pandemic and the kids to see what I want to do next. Um, so I've been doing quick hits news, which is new stuff, just kind of uh, interesting because I wanted to see what it was like to kind of talk about news and opinionate about politics. And it was, it's been fun. Um, so I've been doing that and, um, I'm working on something with the media. I, I will say this, I'm working something in the media realm, but not in sports, not in news and not in journalism. So I have a guess. Yeah, I have a guess. I have a guess of what it could be because I because <laughs> I know you so well. Does it? I don't. Want to say I don't. I don't want. I don't want to give any hints away. I, I, right. When we're done, when we're done, I'll tell <laughs> I you what I, I think. I don't think you know. I don't. I think you're wrong. Why don't? Why don't you guess? Okay, so here's my guess. My guess is that it has to do with food. Me too. 
No, you're wrong. Oh, oh you're wrong. So, oh. okay, wait. Let me say something. I'm more intrigued. When, I'm intrigued. When, when we both... All right, all right. Let me just tell you what I was thinking. Because when we both kind of thought we knew, I was like, Dex is going to say food. And then when you said, I don't think you know, I was like, wait, it's not going to be food? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michelle, Michelle, that, that, intri- that intrigues me. Speaking of food, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's been going on, have you missed going out to eat you like me i know you like to go and try a lot of new places i look you you hear the sigh from michelle i i I miss going out to eat um i'm not doing the indoor dining yet i'm not there yet as some other people are um but how much do you miss that because i miss it like crazy uh i miss going out like crazy i don't know about you guys like i've just been kind of a pansy sitting at home i mean i go out to the grocery store and whatever but i certainly haven't enjoyed my restaurants that I, you know, normally like to do. Um, actually, I went out yesterday for the very first time. Did a rooftop dining, okay. not indoor dining. They had the window open. Um, it was okay, but you know, it's just not the same, too. You know, you have to wear the mask and this and that. You know, I just miss going into like the West Village or the East Village, popping into some small mom and pop joint that sells me some good dumplings. And just chowing oh. down and then going to another place and having a cupcake next door. That's yes. what I miss. I miss it too. Because before the pandemic, I had hit up Michelle and I was like, at some point when she was free, we were going to try to grab lunch and pandemic hit and that hasn't happened. And I haven't seen a lot of people to have lunch with. Like I used to have some free time in the middle of the day. So it sucks. It sucks. I know. Yeah, now I'm really intrigued to know what you're doing that it's not around food because I know <laughs> I know that's what other love. What, what, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see whatever that is. It's Which, not. But, it's not uh, around food. It's it's interesting. If it's something that I've done before, but not many people know about it, mm. I'll tell you that. Okay. So, oh, so you're gonna say it on the pod. You're not gonna say it off air. Do you want me to say it on the pod? You I don't sure. have to. If you want to. If, if you want to. But if you want to keep a secret, that's fine as well, too. No, text. Like I, I said, I, like I said, it, it has <laughs> nothing to do with food. It's still in television, like still in media, though. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. That's all you can say. All that's right. fine. So that's... for the next episode, for my fourth time being on this show. Oh, look, we'll look at you stunting. Look, oh, look, see, look, see, look see, at you stunting. Janae and Sarah, you're going to be behind. Michelle, you see, Michelle, you know, you know what that is. That was a perfect tease. For the next oh, yeah. time that you come on, right? right. And now, Janae and Sarah, you got to step your game up because Michelle has an extra reason to come on for a fourth episode. Michelle, we know you're busy. We wanted you on because, you know, it's Women's History Month. We wanted to celebrate some of the women that we've had on the show. We love talking to, you know, you're one of my good friends in this industry. So I know you're busy with two kids. You got to go take care of them. I had to go deal with my daughter in a little bit too. So thank you for the time. Stay safe, stay healthy, um, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, I want to see you guys soon one day. One day we'll have to, you know, eat and, and yes. catch up in, in person. Yes. And we're gonna I do, miss you guys. We're going to do some dumplings. Um, I have a great dumpling spot that I love here in Brooklyn, but I know you told me about some that you, you like in the city, so we're going to have to we're gonna have to get that done. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Gonna, and then, and then Brian will, you know, will continue to talk to you about your life goals. We'll be, yeah. your, we'll be your mentors. We're, I'll, we're, be your, I'll be your, te- your media mom. How's that? Oh, that's great because I probably need one. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, no, no problem. Michelle, thank you as always. All Appreciate right, you, take sis. Care. Thank take you, care. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mind this week. Got some interesting stuff from music and also basketball. Uh, Brian will be handling the basketball uh, part of this and part of an article that he wrote on Deadspin, which I think he kind of catered to me. It's an article trying to make me smile. It's, it's, but it's less about the it's less about the article and more about the topic. Yeah, more about more about the topic. More about the topic. More about the topic. And I read the article before uh, we started recording this this podcast. Oh, and it, it made me it made me smile, especially with the lead. I thought the lead was really good. All right, we'll get to that. I'm going to kick off the one time for your mind this week because before uh, this previous Friday, before we're recording, which was uh, the fifth of March, the week before that, there was an announcement that had me really excited. I'm getting too excited about certain things in music, but when certain things come up, you got to get excited. Uh, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack had announced that they were coming together. And they had music on the way, an album on the way, and that the single would drop 
on March 5th, which it did. The name of their band, I should say, called Duos, called Silk Sonic, which is a dope-ass name. But apparently Word. Bootsy Collins, a uh, great funk legend, gave gave them the name. Bootsy Collins also will be featured on this album. It's sort of the I can't person. wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for this album. When I heard the news, I think Brian, I believe it was Brian, I think Brian was the one who sent it to me. It was. It was um, in the group chat with Gerard and Jamal. Yeah, and sent it to me, and I was like, oh, shoot. Now, the reason I said, oh, shoot, really, I said, oh, shit. The reason I said, oh, shit, no need to tone it down here. The reason I said that was, I th- th- a lot of times we hear collaborations. We get collaborations with kind of like, how is this going to work? Is this going to be good? I'm not sure that there were two artists that I was like, oh, man, I see this working. They are tailor-made for each other. Anybody who, you know, listens to this podcast, and Brian and I were both Anderson Pack fans. We have loved his music for quite some time. Um, going back to his really his breakout on uh, Dr. Dre's last project, Compton, which then led to his work on Malibu, which kind of got him on our radars, and we've been really with him ever since then. Um, I just, his last couple albums I've, I've loved. Bruno Mars, and particularly, I know a lot of people probably look at him as really poppy and uptown funk and all this stuff. But he's always had a wide uh, range of music that I've liked from his first albums, Doo-Wop and Holligans. I really liked 24 Karat Magic, his last album, which won a lot of awards, including multiple Grammys. Really good album in which he just totally captured the New Jack Swing era. What I like about these artists, B, both of them, is they're really, they're like old souls. They're really able to tap into music from different eras and seamlessly make them sound fresh. And that's what I expected. And then they dropped the first single, which is called Leave the Door Open. And if you have not heard this, I really, really recommend that you do. If you like classic soul, like I do, you're going to like this. It's smooth. It's great. The arrangement is great. The band sounds great with the live instrumentation. Bruno sounds great on this. Anderson does his thing. It's smooth. It's silky. It's sonically beautiful. Silk Sonic. See what I did there? It's 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 just great. I am so pumped for the album. It'll be called The Evening with Silk Sonic. Uh, I also recommend people check out. They did both did a sit down interview that seems to be a part of something longer with Apple Music. They sat down with um, Zane Lowe and talked a little bit about the single and how they came together. And it's really interesting. They this all came together from them being on tour in 2017 on the 24 Carat Magic tour, which Anderson was on opening for Bruno, and they started working on some stuff. And through the pandemic, they worked on more, and this led to this. I, you know, one of my boys said to me yesterday, we were talking about this, and he's like, look, I can see this being classic. And I started trying to think about the last time I was very confident in a release of two artists coming together that I didn't know. And Brian, I, I was going to bring this up to you, and I think you will feel the same as me on this one. What I want to ask you this. When was the last time... There was a, a collaboration album coming out. You felt like very confidently that this would work. I know what the one was for me. It did work that great. And oh. yeah, well, well, I'm, I'm curious if you're on the same page as this. I think you will be. I don't know. the. <clears throat> All right. So some people would say Watch the Throne. For me, that's nah. not like. Nope. Yeah, no. I was think it, it's an overrated album. What, I, I, I was somewhat excited, but I wasn't confident in that. Come on, Brian. This is this one. Is... I, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Okay. It's gotta be it's the relatives with Nas and Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's gotta be Nas and Absolutely. Yeah. That that's, was that's one of the most underrated albums of my lifetime. I agree. I agree. It was a lot two artists coming together. You had heard them on uh Road to Zion on Damian Marley's Welcome to Jam Rock album. And the chemistry to me was just incredible. It was gonna be good. They're both conscious artists. They both were going to get production from Stephen Marley, the great Stephen Marley, and the great instrumentation those boys do down there in Jamaica. I felt very confident about that album. And I'll say one thing about that album that, uh, before I wrap up that makes me excited for this album. When I heard that album, Distant Relatives with Nas and Damian Marley, one of the things I immediately felt upon listening to that album was like, man, I got to hear and see these guys live. I no. have to do it. And I did. So when t- they came to Brooklyn... They performed in Williamsburg. I went to a concert there. It was, it was fire. And let's just say there were a lot of things in the air among the people around me oh. that day. 
And everybody was having a good time. The music was great. It was great performing that album. Nas and Damien looked like they had fun doing it. It was fantastic. These two artists coming together, and Bruno and Anderson, makes me feel like this is going to might be another one where I'm like, man, I want to see this live. Because I expect the instrumentation, the performance, the, the musicality of it to be so good in what these guys bring to the table. I feel the same way. And so this is why I'm really excited about it. If you haven't, yeah. uh, if you haven't, again, please leave the door open. The video, um, as I last checked, was already over. They did a video for it too. As I last had checked on it, it was already over 2 million views on, on uh, YouTube. Now it is at 9 almost 10 million views on YouTube already for the video. The video is really good. Um, it's very simple. It's just I'm recording in the studio, uh, old school yeah. studio, really good. But um, leave the door open. Anderson Pack, Bruno Mars, Silk Sonic, name of the band. Evening with Silk Sonic with special guest host Bootsy Collins coming soon. We do not have a release date for it, but I wish it was tomorrow because I want to hear it right now. <laughs> Cause it's gonna be silky smooth, man. It's gonna be silky smooth. Yo, Can't wait. So I, I'm, yeah, I agree. I'm fully confident in this being like a definitive classic album when it comes out. I'm hoping that, like, I think that even if they go up out of our sort of uh, ideal zone of twelve to fourteen joints, I think even if they go with sixteen, sort of like Wait, Malibu, man. I don't see them doing that. I, I don't, don't see them that. doing that either. I see this being really tight, like ten to twelve. But I'm saying even if they did that, I will feel full confident in them. It just makes so much sense. Like when I saw that they were collaborating, and I think that they toured together before. Yeah. And this is sort of like how not that's not how they became friends, but I think that's sort of where the idea came about to do this collaboration, which makes a lot of sense. And then when I see that, I'm like. Oh wow! Why didn't I think of this? Like this makes so much sense. Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack, just musically, like they're two of the brightest that we have. Two of the most talented guys we have. I'm not like a super pop fan or whatever the case may be, but I could definitely mess with some Bruno Mars, who's actually part Puerto Rican as well. Uh, you know, he makes great music. And Anderson Pack, you know, Malibu was my album of the year when that came out. I expect this to be kind of like Malibu on steroids. I was excited to see that Leave the Door Open was also like a smooth, smoother joint because I was like, wait until they get into their sort of up-tempo. Uh, yes. And Anderson's, bring, and Anderson's bringing it with the drums. Yeah. Oh, wait until they get into their up-tempo bag. Like that is going to be, that is going to be awesome. And I think that like, that's probably going to be a single that comes out and that's going to be whatever, whatever that sounds like. I'm ready for that. I think I, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think it's interesting that they came out with a smoother first single. And Bruno said in the interview I watched with Zane Lowe, which was that on this project, you will really get to see the range of drumming ability and great drumming ability that you see from Pac in, in this um, is good. But yeah, I like that it came out with a, the smooth joint at first. I think it's really smooth. It's just something, it's, it's perfect. Like, I can't, it's just something you play. You with your lady, you got your glass of whatever, your wine, whatever yeah, it is that yeah. you do, and you're just chilling Saturday out. Night. You know, whatever your your significant other you're with, and you're just chilling out on a Saturday night. It's smooth. I probably played the song like at least fifty times already. It's just too smooth. Wow. Yeah, I definitely played it. Oh, yeah. I, oh, it's in a vibe, and and my and my daughter's rocking with it too, which is great. She she loves she loves Anderson yeah. Pack, so it's great. It, it's come on, man. I, I I don't see this being a letdown, Brian. I'm not one to throw around pre classic words. And get yeah. too much into the hype, but this one at least has me feeling. I yeah. expect a day. I expect a certain level of quality from these dudes, and it wouldn't shock me if they delivered that. Do my last thing on this. Do we know? I know Bootsy Collins is hosting it, and he's going to be featured. Yes. Do we know anything else about features? No, no, we don't know anything else about features. I'm very, I'm very intrigued when yeah. the track list eventually comes out. Who is going? Because it's good. It's going to be a wide range of people. Like, this is kind of going to be a genreless album because this is going to hit so many different parts of music. Like, mm -hmm. I think we're going to get a little bit of everything. So I'm curious to see who's going to be on it as well. I'm, yeah, if, if there are any other features at all. I mean, I think there's some artists I could think about who I think could, like, get into this. Wouldn't shock me if you saw a Kendrick feature. He's done a lot of funky oh. stuff before, too, with him and, and Pac have collabed. Um... Yeah. 
you know, there's, there's, you know, I could see Scissor being in on this in some kind of way. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people you can see. I hope it's not feature heavy though. That's not what I want. Right. Yeah. If there's one or two on the project, that's cool. But I hope it's not too feature heavy, or it's guys I think that will work uh, in that realm and it'll be fine. You know what I mean? But I think Pack and Bruno by himself just carrying this is is good enough. Um, yeah. Or maybe you get some older, maybe some nods to some older funk or soul artists or jazz artists that come in on this. I'm I'm for that. I'm I'm glad to see that as well. But now I'm excited. Hopefully we get a release date. Uh, track list is Brian said soon. Hope to see it. But I think if you're a fan of just music, period, this has to be one to keep your eye on uh, if you haven't heard about it. Now, Brian has an article that he wrote for Deadsman in which he talks about the Knicks, which, you know, for me as a Knicks fan, gets me uh, a little interested, a little excited. Brian, tell the people what you wrote about with the New York Knicks, one game over 500, heading into the All-Star break, fifth in the Eastern Conference. I have been watching Julius Randle, obviously, very closely this season, and I've been just very intrigued at like how we sort of receive him differently than Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And it wasn't really meant to be a dig or a comparison, even though like that's part of it. But I was just wondering, like, how is it that people sort of look at Julius Randle now that he's an all-star, in my opinion, the front runner for most improved. He's the face of this Knicks turnaround where they're off to their best start in about seven or eight years and decided to write about it. So I wrote about Julius Randle being uh, the perfect New York Knicks for right now. It's on Despin right now, but it's less about the article and just more so about this topic that I wanted to bring up. For me, I felt like Chris Stapp's Porzingis was a little bit overrated when he was here, as good as I thought he was. I thought that a lot of it was just sort of optimism and hope from a lot of Nick fans who was like, yo, we finally have our homegrown guy. Even though when you look at sort of his numbers pre-ACL tear, that even that year, it was 22 points. It was six or so rebounds. It was a couple blocks. And like I mentioned in the piece, it's like, you know, he would get a block shot, get up, trail a play, hit a three, Garden would go crazy, all this stuff. He was also just 22 years old during uh-huh. that season where he got hurt. So it's a lot of different things. And Julius Randle sort of came, like, from the jump. He was behind the eight ball because the Nets had just gotten Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to come to your city, but not on your team. And almost immediately after, we learned that the Knicks get Julius Randle on a pretty sizable contract at the time for somebody who hadn't done a lot of winning but had put up a lot of numbers. So people were just like, oh, you know, what's this? Blah, 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 blah. They wind up getting Bobby Portis eventually Marcus Morris and things of that nature, like all these different things. And I'm just, and I'm just looking at it and I'm like, yo, Julius Randle's a good player. And, you know, last season, not so great up and down. He did have a stretch before like January or something that was good, but the Knicks didn't win. So it didn't really matter. And then this year, obviously he's put in a lot of work and this year has been weird guys in and out of the lineup, whatever, whatever. So he's been able to take advantage of that as well. But he looks like a totally like the best case scenario of what we thought he could have been at right now. Kobe Bryant compared him in his rookie year right after his rookie year. I remember he missed his rookie year because he played in his first game and tore his ACL. So he didn't even really have a rookie season. And Kobe Bryant called them Lamar Odom and Zach Randolph's body. Which is funny, but it's also like you watch him with the Knicks and it's like, oh, I mean, Lamar Odom doesn't didn't quite score like this, but it's kind of true. The playmaking, the rebounding, being able to sort of play one through five offensively. You know what I mean? And, you know, defensively, he's not as good as Porzingis was, but he's clearly gotten better under Tibbs and, you know, is giving more effort and, you know, has sort of that junkyard dog in him, so to speak. And I just wrote about that because I was wondering, like, would he have been even more embraced if we had crowds right now. Like, I can think back to certain moments that Julius Randle's had this year in certain big games and big shots and things of that nature. And in a good Knicks season, compared to where they've been, and a Knicks season where, like, the trajectory is going up, they're a little bit ahead of schedule, I wondered how Madison Square Garden would have been if we were just a normal society and Julius Randle was doing this, um, and how cool it would have been to see Nick fans be able to experience that live. So 
Uh, hopefully that's something that carries over to when we are normal again. But it also, you know, begs the question, like, how far can this go? And then also, why is this, to me, so different from Porzingis? And for me, it was just like he was an undersized guy at his position, third team uh, in like a few years, in like three years. He was 24 when he signed, turning 25. So people just looked at it differently coming in. But I actually think he's a better fit for the Knicks than Porzingis was. I think it's fair. I think one of the things is like I always love that comparison of that Kobe Bryant made of you know him being Amar Odom in Zach Randolph's body. I love Julius Randle coming out of college in Kentucky. Um, I would have liked to see if the Knicks could have got him that year, but I think they were. Uh, I don't know if they had a first round pick that year. I don't think they did. Twenty fourteen. This is a great. What a great think, question. This is think, the year before Porzingis. The year let, me before go, Porzingis. let me check why you I don't think they had they, I don't think they had a first round pick because I think that was the one they traded away in the Andre Bagnani trade, if I'm not mistaken. Um and so I I remember being high on Julius Randle. I thought it was a good pick for the Lakers when he went there. Um I, as all the stuff that you pointed out, Brian, but I think what works, it's funny, you talk I'm glad you brought up the fans and you brought up this point in the in the piece. I do think the fans would have embraced him like crazy. You know, you're hearing now that some fans have been back and they've had 2,000. He's getting some MVP chance, which I always think is funny when, like, people give MVP chance for somebody who's not going to win the MVP. But whatever. I, I get the point. It's What's going on right now with the Knicks is, is Julius Randle's a huge part of it. But it's even bigger than that why I think the fans would embrace it. The fans have been longing for a Cardinals tough team. I'm not saying this is the 90s. I'm not saying this is Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, that stuff. But, 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 he but kind of fits that mold. Kind of fits that mold. He's like Anthony Mason with a much better shot and better handle, so it's a lot better than Anthony Mason. Rest in peace, Anthony Mason. Um, but I think that it's the way the team plays, and he embodies that bulliness that he's not backing down, he's going at people. And he's really set the, the culture. And I don't mean that just in a toughness perspective, but also in the way of how he has gone about his craft, getting himself in better shape this year, clearly working on his game. Those things matter. And I think when people see the effort and they see the team play hard, that's something fans, especially fans of the Knicks, historically, that's how the teams have been that have been good. They can really get behind that. They they want to see the, 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 the good defense, the ball movement, the, the good offense. That's what... I think Nick fans have wanted to see, and you're starting to see a culture form that has started a lot with Tom Thibodeau, the head coach, but he needed a player that was going to be an extension of that culture on the court, and that has been Julius Randle. He's taking what Tibbs is. He's preaching. You've seen his defense be better. He's attacking. He's tougher. He's playing efficiently. Like, that's the, that's the thing, and so to your piece, I think you're right. You know, I, I was somebody who did not like Chris Ash Porzingis trade. And I still don't think the Knicks should have done it. But you know what? That's all in the past. If you look at all the moves that came to lead you to the point, and all you can do is focus they, they on might the, get some good picks right. out of it too. And all you can do is focus on the point of where you are and what you might even get or flexibility you have. The Knicks are in a very good position. But a lot of that credit should go to Julius Randle. There should be uh, a lot of people talking about Julius Randle. I too, like you, agree that he should be the front runner for most improved because of how he's improved his game, but also how that's led to winning. <laughs> that that should matter as well too. So, what this guy deserves all the accolades that he's getting, and right now it looks like he's a fantastic fit because I think he's fitting into. It's not necessarily a not. I think that's what you were trying to make the point of. B. It's not that it's a knock on Chris Tapps Porzingis. Right. Maybe if Chris Tapps Porzingis was getting coached by Tom Thibodeau and was be able to be in his culture, we'd see a different uh sort of impact, sort of result. I think Tom Thibodeau will get great stuff out of him too because I think he's a dope coach. I just think that this was a player that allowed Thibodeau as a coach to have some flexibility. You could put the ball in his hands. Even though last year, I was person on the train of get Julius Randle out of here. I was on that bandwagon. He turned the ball over too much. He's horribly inefficient, which he did play like that last year, except for the one stretch you mentioned in January and sort yeah. of right before things ended due to the pandemic. Yeah. He didn't look good. But it, this should be a lesson to everybody that i like to close with this, which is, Yo, just because you see somebody in one place in one time or one point in their life or one point in their career does not mean you don't know when that transformation is coming. You don't know the work people are putting or the coaching that they need, the people that they need around them. You know, we heard Michelle, you joke about 
being a media life coach for for Brian or or, or you know myself or whatever. I hope that shit ain't a joke. Nah, sure. but, but I mean, you know, it's not, it's not, but we all, <laughs> but in 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 a, in a jokey way of just the term. But we right. all need that, right? We all need certain people that that pushes places or motivates to do things. Or when you're going through a tough time to talk to somebody. And so Julius Randle, he's given a lot of credit to Kenny Payne, the assistant coach on the Knicks. He's given a lot of credit to Thibodeau. And these things can happen. Players can blossom. I think too often in sports, we lo- we're like, yo, this is what we've seen from this player for one year, two years, and that's what they're going to be. And it's like, nah, maybe we need to chill sometimes. And people have to get into the, you talk about this a lot, Brian, the right situation, the right yeah. culture. Yeah. And they themselves have to have the right inspiration and work ethic to get to that. We've seen that with Julius Randle. Right now, he's looking like a great fit for Nick. Forget about what's going to happen two, three years from now or what's it going beyond. He's been a huge part of them changing the culture, and that should absolutely be saluted, no doubt, in, in what's going on with the New York Knickerbockers. Three things uh, before we get out of here. One, uh, that pick, they had a 12th pick that year. Uh, that was actually from the Carmelo Anthony trade. Went to Denver, was traded to Philly. No, was traded to... Uh, Orlando, and then mm. Orlando moved it to Philly. That player is Dario Sarge, who is still ah. in the league and playing pretty well in Phoenix. The pick after was Zach Levine uh, by Minnesota, mm. who was using a Jimmy Butler trade. Um, two more things was like, one, I'm curious to what happens with Obi Toppin now, because I mean, I guess he plays the three, but at the same time, like if Julius Randle's going to be this, Obi Toppin seems like a trade chip to me next season or something along those lines, unfortunately. And this is a team he grew up watching, obviously. I mean, unless he's your sixth man eventually. But I don't know. Like, could he hit enough jumpers to make you feel comfortable enough for him to play the three? Uh, I have to see more defense for me to see him play the three. I think what you do right now is, look, he's this is good for Obi Toppin. He's playing against Julian, Julius Randle. He's playing at a high level every day in practice. He's going up against him. Maybe it sharpens his well, game. Well, when they can practice. When they can, when they can practice, right? Yeah. That helps sharpen your game. And, you know, hopefully that gives you some depth at the four position. Right now, Obi Toppin, I mean, I can't, it's too early to worry about whether you could trade him or not. He could be a trade piece, but his value's got to go up. And that can go up by him learning from Julius Randle and becoming a good backup uh, in, a te- in a place that people value. And that might help in terms of landing a star player you need. Yeah, you know, you just every. I guess my whole attitude with the Knicks is the pieces just got to get better. You got to build the culture. And, pieces got to get better. Everything else will take care of itself. And the other thing I would say is like, I give uh, everybody involved credit here. Julius Randle just fits better with R.J. Barrett than I ever thought was possible. As I watched them this year, I I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, R.J.'s developed. He's a little better than last year. You can watch it. You can see it. And people. Also, I have to remember R.J. Barrett is 20 years old. He won't even be 21 until June. Right. You know what I mean? He's still very young. Two years left on his rookie deal. Next year, he's going to be playing for potentially a max contract if he does break out and take that you know, third-year leap that some guys take. Then he'll be entitled to a lot of money after that. And I could see a future where, I mean, to me, and this is kind of like what I was explaining off-air, like right now, Julius Randle is your clear number one option. R.J. Barrett's number two. What you want next year is for them to be 1A and 1B, Randall Barrett, and then for the year after for that to flip right before Barrett gets into his extension for Barrett to be your 1A guy, Randall to be two. If Barrett could even supersede him next year, that would be great. I just don't think that's going to necessarily happen. He would have to take a massive leap. But they just fit better than I thought they would, which is actually pretty cool to watch because they're both left-handed uh, and they both you know, need the space. Like I think part of why they're better this year is because the Knicks aren't as clogged on their roster. Like Bobby Portis even tweeted out not that long ago like the Knicks had too many power forwards last year. That's right. why he would... That's why he's playing better now in Milwaukee than he was able to do before. Like at Marcus Morris, like all these guys needed space and they were in one in one another's way. And I think Julius Randle's taking advantage of that. RJ Barrett's taking a little bit of advantage of that. I would still like to see him. He's actually going to the foul line a little bit less than last year. He's like a little bit under four free throw attempts per game. It's like 3.8. The, his percentage has gone up to 73, which I like a lot. I would like that to get to 80 within the next two seasons. But I... He's a guy that can easily, the way he plays, he should be getting to the line six, seven, eight times a game eventually. I agree. So 
I think that that's something that he needs to just continue to develop on along with obviously his jumper because his three comes and goes. But he's his shot selection, as you pointed out time and again, has just gotten better. And I'm optimistic about what they can build there. Just, you know, don't do anything reckless because you're starting to – they're good enough to where you can see them in reports. How far do they want to go? Do they want to trade for Oladipo? And, you know, Oladipo just wouldn't make sense to me right now next to those guys. Oladipo, quite frankly, is not even better than Kendrick Nunn right now. And the reason why I bring that up is because Kendrick Nunn is – Somebody talked about as a trade chip to potentially get Oladipo, who's wanted to be in Miami this whole time. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's kind of like he hasn't been playing better than Kendrick Nunn over the last four to six weeks. So why would you even do that? That could be could be part of his unhappy where he is. I don't know. But I, I'm with you. They just need to stay the course, stay the development. You brought up RJ, some other young guys. Um, you're even starting to see Neil Aquina. I know small sample, but playing well in a 3 and D role, which I've been saying for a while. Um, yeah. They, they, there's there's some talent there and pieces there that can work. You don't worry. I, mean, I can't even worry about the trades, man. All I worry about is just as as a as a person who's like loved this team since he was seven years old, just watching the development, watching the culture change, and when look, it's going to attract people are going to want to come and play. If you're winning, if there's accountability, if things are run the right way, you know, just hopefully uh, nobody meddles and messes this up and. For people out there, you'll probably know who I'm talking about uh, in, in terms of that. Hopefully, it hasn't happened. All right, that's it for this episode of the A Hard to Tell podcast. Huge, huge, huge thank you to the homie Michelle Yu with her third appearance on the podcast. Uh, and hopefully, that'll get Sarah and Janae to catch up and come back on uh, and, and, and get some more. No, they'll, they'll be back, guys. They'll absolutely be back. We'll get, we'll get those numbers uh, up for them without having to juke the stats. Um, please, as usual, continue to support us. Continue us. We're going to have some more wonderful women throughout the month for Women's History Month. Michelle is just the first. There'll be uh, some more people we're talking to, uh, some other return guests uh, that'll be back as well, too. And Brian and I will have more to talk about. So, interesting month. March Madness uh, ready to start. Uh, NBA post All Star break will be heating up more. Trade discussions. There'll be a lot to talk about that. Uh, as well, too. NFL free agency, baseball on the horizon. So a lot coming up in the month of March. For episode 169 of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, he's Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.